Dirt with Gary Pickering, South Carolina's only podcast dedicated to the real estate agent's craft. And greetings and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dish and Dirt. I'm your often irreverent and very opinionated but rarely wrong host, Gary Pickering, coming to you from Blair Cato Pickering Castroline in beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina, this midweek of October 2021. So this week, it's all about agency. And I have dreaded like crazy doing a podcast on agency. It's a very difficult topic. It's a very boring topic at times, but I promise to do my best not to make it boring for you. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about agency in all its forms and fashions, what it is, when it's disclosed, what your requirements, what your obligations are, so you'll know everything you need to know about agency to hopefully, hopefully keep you out of trouble. Now, newer agents, this is certainly something you need to listen to maybe more than once to make sure that you truly understand what agency is. It is the foundation of what you do as a real estate agent. So you have to truly and fully understand what agency is to be able to be an effective real estate agent. Now, for you seasoned agents, guys have been doing this for a long period of time. It seems recently a lot of you have completely forgotten what you were supposed to have known and have completely lost your minds when it comes to agency. So this might be a nice refresher course for you as well. We see a lot of this at the real estate commission level where agency simply is not being done properly. I've been asked to serve as an expert in multiple cases, defend real estate agents where these issues are prevalent. So this will be a really good podcast for everybody. And we're going to finish it off with a great Gary's Good News Only, giving you some truth Kenny Powers style. I'm going to mess you up with some truths, just like Kenny Powers. And it's going to really hit home because we've got a lot of great information from DHEC as it relates to breakthroughs, cases, deaths, and hospitalizations when it comes to the vaccinated. It's going to surprise you because this is not a lot of stuff that you hear in the media. These are the actual numbers from DHEC, so you're really going to want to stick around to hear that. Now, before I begin, I want to give a big shout out to our new agents at Allen Tate who are following us in Greenville. And I really do appreciate your brokers up there who are sharing the podcast with your office. Please keep that up for us. And we do welcome you guys aboard. Please don't forget to like us. Listen to us, subscribe to us, but most importantly, don't forget to share us with everybody you know in the real estate industry, whether they're in your market, in South Carolina, or even outside of South Carolina. We want to continue to help grow this podcast. I really appreciate y'all doing so. So let's jump right into agency. What is it? So anytime you deal with agency, you got to look at our statute. Our statute is 40-57. This is the statute in South Carolina that was rewritten in 2017 that lays out all the rules and regulations as it relates to brokers in charge, as well as associated licensees. In order to properly understand agency, we've got to start there. So under 40-57, 370, your obligation as a licensee is as follows. A licensee shall provide at the first practical opportunity to all potential buyers and sellers of real estate with whom the licensee has a substantive contact, a meaningful explanation of brokerage relationships and real estate transactions that are offered by the real estate brokerage firm including an explanation of customer and client services. Now, we're going to break down that whole thing right there for you today. Part of it I'm not going to break down because we've already done that in other podcasts. So, for example, if you want to understand what substantive contact means, you can go back and look at my July 15th podcast from 2021. It's episode number 36. You also can find out what a meaningful explanation of agency is by going to July 1st, and looking at that episode, that's episode 34. It's a really good podcast because we talk about the seven key words you need to have in your arsenal to explain a meaningful explanation of agency. And we also talk about when is a practical opportunity as defined under the statute 
That's under my July 8th podcast, which was episode 35. In addition to listening to this podcast, you might need to go back and listen to those three. But meaningful explanation, basically in a word or two, means it's an explanation that people can readily understand. First practical opportunity, we'll talk, we've talked about that ad nauseum as well, and that's you need to listen to the podcast, but it's not waiting until you've already provided client services. That's the main thing you need to understand there. Lastly, we're going to talk about what substantive contact is a little bit today um, because you do need to understand what that is. So look, let's look at the statutory definition. Substantive contact means a contact in which a discussion or dialogue between the consumer and the associated licensee moves from casual introductory talk to a meaningful conversation regarding the, real, the selling or buying motives or objectives of the seller or buyer, financial qualifications, or other confidential information that, if disclosed, could harm the consumer's bargaining position. You can have your meaningful conversations, or less meaningful conversations, I guess we should say, about what the weather is, value sports teams are going. But once that conversation turns to information about their real estate needs or financial ability to pay, or anything that could harm their bargaining position, you got to stop and provide this meaningful explanation of agency. That's important because basically anything to do with real estate falls under those categories. So once you start talking about what they're looking for in real estate, you got to stop. But as I said, you can get the complete understanding of what that means by listening to those other three podcasts. Today, I want to focus more on what is agency, the various types of it, and your duties under each form. And so what we're going to do is also start back at the definition section again, 405730. The first definition they give us is agent. An agent means one authorized or empowered by a written agency agreement to perform actions for a client. Important. This is the most important part of the sentence. A real estate brokerage firm is the agent for the buyer, seller, landlord, or tenant, and the real estate brokerage firm's associated licensees are its sub-agents. That's very important because you need to understand that the agent is the brokerage and you are a sub-agent. You as the associated licensee. So when a written agency agreement is entered into, it is between the brokerage and the consumer, not the associated licensee. So if you ever decide to leave your brokerage, understand you do not own those agreements. Listing agreements, buyer representation agreements are owned by the brokerage. You have been assigned as an associated licensee, as a sub-agent to work on those for those clients. We also need to look at two other definitions while we're in this section. Number five, 405730, number five, buyer agency means a form of agency in which a real estate brokerage firm, again, there's that key, real estate brokerage firm represents the buyer in an agency capacity as defined in the chapter. And number 27, seller agency means a form of agency in which the real estate brokerage firm represents the seller in an agency capacity. So once again, you're seeing the real estate brokerage firm is the agent. You are the sub-agent. Other important aspects to look at, agency is only formed with what? An affirmative act. It takes an affirmative act to form agency. It does not just happen. It doesn't happen because you wanted it to, or you thought it did, or you might have formed it. It uh, only forms with that affirmative act of signing the agency agreement. Additionally, this is how the fiduciary relationship is created. By fiduciary, we mean one acting in a relationship of trust. You have fiduciary duties throughout the statute that puts this trust on you, where you are representing in a relationship of trust that consumer. In addition to providing this meaningful ag- explanation of agency, 
The real estate agent also has other duties under 40-57-370. So let's take a quick look at those. Now, we've already talked about the first practical opportunity providing the meaningful explanation. But you're also required at this time to also provide a disclosure of brokerage relationships form prescribed by the commission. That's a form that you should have, and if you don't, you need to ask your broker about. Additionally, you need to have the acknowledgement of receipt of the disclosure brokerage relationship form signed, um, and that must be included uh, in a brokerage agency agreement, and it must also be in the sales agreement. That's what we added to CCRA contract and the state contract after the 2017 rewrite, and so those are in there. If your first substantive contact occurs over the telephone or by other electronic means, including internet or email, then that form may be sent by those electronic means, including internet or email. It does not have to be in person. It's also important to understand in this section that the statute clearly says that the default service is going to be considered customer, not client. It does not default to client. You're automatically assumed to be providing consumer services until or customer services until we have a signed written agency agreement, which basically means you're providing transaction brokerage services, because that is what transaction brokerage services is, is providing customer service, and that is our default service at this point. For all real estate transactions, Part E of 350 is very important. No agency agreement or relationship exists between the buyer, the seller, and the real estate brokerage firm and its associated licensees unless there has been, in writing, an agency relationship established. No type of agency may be assumed by a buyer, seller, landlord, tenant, or licensee, or created orally, or created by implications. It's also important to take a pause here for a second and understand that this entire real estate section of the law, 40-57, is written for one purpose, and that is to protect the public, not the real estate agents. Why these laws are written so harshly, and this explains why you have a duty to explain agency in its fullest, that you can do it in a meaningful way, and that the person understands the difference between consumer or customer service and client services. That's why this duty is put upon you. Even if you have not entered into a formal agency agreement, it is still the brokerage and the agent's responsibility to exercise reasonable care in the discharge of real estate brokerage firm specific duties as set out in the chapter. Payment or promise of payment of compensation in and of itself, also does not establish agency. Very important to understand that as well. It's now time for us to shift and look at what must be in this agency agreement. A lot of things have to be in your agency agreement. has to be in writing. has to have all the material terms. So what are some of those material terms? A description of your duties and services that you're performing for the client, not limited to explanation of the office policy regarding dual agency, designated agency, and transaction brokerage. The amount of compensation to be paid, whether it's going to be a flat fee or whether it's going to be some method of calculating how you're getting paid. There has to be an explanation of how and when this compensation is earned. Also has to be an explanation of how any compensation is going to be divided among participating or cooperating brokers. You also have to discuss any retainer fees, deposits, or any other types of money you are collecting and providing services. Most importantly, in my opinion, is the duration of the agency relationship. And it must have specific dates for beginning and ending of the relationship. Too many agents leave that end date blank or they put to be determined. That is not a proper agency agreement. And you're, basically, you don't have an agency agreement. It's also important to know that it has to be a specific ending date and that it doesn't automatically just last forever. I've had agents try to tell me that. Well, we had this agreement in 2012 to 2013, and we've just been continuing to use this over the years. You need to understand, commercial agents, this applies to you as well. 
Everything in this statute applies to residential and commercial agents. There is no separation between the two. There's no different statutes between the two. And understand that you are responsible to follow these rules as well. And, of course, you must have signature of all the parties. Additionally, you have a couple of things we also need to add, that the agreement must clearly state that it terminates on the definite expiration date unless a written extension is signed. Again, these things can automa- cannot automatically renew. You cannot put in the listing agreement or, or by representation agreement that it automatically renews unless a party says otherwise. No, it has to have a written extension. That's another misnomer that a lot of people have. Next, the listing agreement or buyer representation agreement must clearly state if it's an exclusive agency listing or buyer representation agreement or it's an exclusive right to represent the listing contract or an exclusive right to represent the buyer. Very important whether it's exclusive or not. The listing agreement must clearly state any exceptions, variations, the amount of commissions to be paid. A copy has to be provided to the client immediately upon signing. And there must also be an adequate property description for the property that's being listed, it can be either a legal description or other ways of sufficiently describing the property. If it's a buyer representation agreement, it has to adequately describe the type of property they're interested in, the price range. This agency agreement must be done prior to providing client services. I cannot stress that enough. Too many agents are out there providing client services, and they haven't come close to getting any of this done. If you have not got an agency agreement signed, quit providing client services. In fact, this is one of the favorite pet peeves of the Real Estate Commission. When the inspectors go out and investigate a a grievance or any type of claim against you, they often ask to see a copy of your agency agreement. And when they see that you've been providing client services well before you had agency agreement signed, you can be disciplined for that, even if that wasn't the matter for what you were grieved for. I've had that happen to one of my clients, that they were grieved on a matter which I was able to defend them on, but it was clear that they provided client services for about six months to a year before ever getting agency signed. So please do not provide client services. If you are providing customer services, let's talk about what the difference is and what you provide as a cu- to a customer versus what you provide to a client. So for a customer, also known as transaction brokerage, you have to provide honest and fair dealing, accounting of all funds, your reasonable, or excuse me, using skill, care, and diligence in the transaction. You must disclose material adverse facts that affect the transaction or the value or condition of the property. Uh, you must promptly present all written offers, counteroffers. You also have this limited duty of confidentiality. Again, this is new to 2017 as well. Prior to 2017, if a consumer came in to your open house or model home and told you all kind of things about how much they would have paid for the house and what they would offer, you were allowed to go back and tell your, your client everything that you learned. Today, you may not do that if you have information that concerns a buyer's motive to buy or buyer's willingness to make a higher offer. You also may not disclose any factors motivating a seller to sell or their willingness to accept an offer for less than list price. You may not disclose, even to your client, by the way, to a seller or buyer will agree to any particular financing terms other than those offered. And you may not provide information requested by a party to be remained confidential. So basically, you got to not provide any of that information that you have learned. So let's look more at depth and the things that you may do in transaction brokerage or when acting for a customer. You may identify and show property for sale, lease, and exchange. You can provide real estate statistics and information on property. You can provide them pre-printed real estate forms, contracts, and leases. You can act as a scribe in preparing those forms, contracts, and leases. You can provide them a list of architects, engineers, surveyors, lenders, attorneys, insurance agents, and other professionals. You can identify schools, shopping facilities, places of worship. But you can't go much further than that. 
That's about what your limit is. You're providing information. And of course, as I've mentioned earlier, you have a duty to present all offers timely, provide meaningful explanation of agency, explain scopes and services, and be fair and honest in the things that we had just talked about. This is quite different than client services. With customers, you're basically providing information and providing access to properties. Now, let's talk about clients. What truly separates a customer from a client is that with a client, you may advise, counsel, and advocate. You cannot do that for a customer. And that's truly what separates you from the Internet. If all you're going to do is provide information and access, the Internet can pretty much do most of that. You can find anything they want online. In fact, most of the stuff that they find online, they already have access to even before you do because you have to look it all up. You're representing agent in, in many areas, many counties, whether it's Greenville, Spartanburg, you're looking all over, or Richland and Lexington, or wherever you are. You're having to maintain a whole area of knowledge where a particular buyer or a particular seller is only looking in one particular neighborhood and maybe even in one section of a neighborhood. So they have that information readily available to them and on top of their mind. But that's not what's so valuable about a real estate agent because if all you are providing is information, it's nothing. Your value is that you are providing advice, counsel, and advocacy. You have the best advice and counsel of anybody around because you know it, you've been around it, you've seen it, you know what to do, and you're the best advocate, which is why we hire real estate agents because we don't want to be involved in the negotiations. We're not very good at negotiating our own deals. We need somebody to help us do that. When having this written agency agreement, that is where you now may start doing those things that we've talked about, which is advising, counseling, and advocating. In addition, once you have formed this agency, you have to perform the terms of the written brokerage agreement. You have to promote the interest of your buyer in performing those duties. You have to help seek to find those types of properties at the price and terms that's stated, unless otherwise changed. You have to timely present offers, written offers, and counter offers. You have to disclose to buyer all material adverse effect, defects or facts that concern the transaction. You have to advise the buyer to obtain expert advice on material matters. You are to account in a timely manner for all monies and properties received. You're going to exercise reasonable skill and care in discharging your duties. You have to comply with all the provisions in this chapter, all federal, state, local laws, rules, and regulations. You have to preserve all the confidential information you learn during the course and even following your agency agreement, unless you're otherwise required by state law to disclose it. Now, there's several things under 135 you also have to know. Is that as a licensee, you may not advertise, market, or offer to conduct a real estate transaction for somebody owning real estate in whole or in part without first obtaining a written listing agreement. So if you are going to represent a seller, you better have a valid listing agreement signed, one that is not expired. If it's expired, you don't have a valid listing agreement. Also, under 350, you have to understand that a real estate brokerage firm that provides services through a real estate agency for a client is bound by duties of loyalty, obedience, disclosure, confidentiality, reasonable care, disclosure, or diligence and accounting. This was old car duties. We put them in a different order. We had confidentiality, accounting, uh, reasonable care for car. Uh, we also have for old was obedience, loyalty, and disclosure. Now, the following permissible brokerage relationships are allowed for real estate brokerage firms to establish. Again, don't provide these services without getting agency signed. And secondly, don't provide any of these services until you have actually looked at your office policy to see if your office even allows you to offer different types of agencies. Not every office allows every agent to provide different services. For example, I have an agency I represent that does not allow designated agency. They do not believe it is a fair agency in their small office, so they do not allow it. So remember, a couple of things as we break this down, that every consumer, anybody looking at real estate is considered a consumer. You are a customer unless you have signed an 
written agency agreement. At that point, you become a client. You work with customers. You work for clients. So here are the types of agencies that are allowed in South Carolina. We have seller agency. That's where a real estate licensee represents a seller and that only seller in the transaction. You have buyer agency where the licensee represents only a buyer in the transaction and nobody else. Now, we also have what's called disclosed dual agency. Dual agency means a form of agency in which the real estate brokerage firm with two clients in the same transaction gives limited agency service. So, for instance, I am a real estate agent. I represent the buyer, and that buyer has decided they want to buy one of these listings that I have. I have dual agency. I represent both the buyer and the seller. Now, let's talk about designated agency and how that goes along with dual agency. With designated agency, it's a form of agency in which two clients represented by a real estate brokerage firm in the same transaction may be given almost equivalent treatment as single agency. Now, how does this work? You have an agency with two agents in that agency, in that brokerage. One represents the buyer, one represents the seller. They are not the same person representing both. There are two different agents representing one buyer and one seller. Now, the broker themselves would be considered to be in dual agency. So those two agents may not go to their broker and ask their broker for any help in the transaction that would be considered confidential or require loyalty issues or disclosure issues because the broker is in dual agency while the two agents are in designated agency. It's very important to understand that. It's also allowed, however, under our transaction that if you're a brokerage and you have separate offices and separate brokerages, that you're not in designated agency. So if I work for real estate agency A and I am in the downtown office and I have a listing and somebody in our suburb office wants to rep, wants to buy that, or their agent their client wants to buy it, we're not in designated agency because we have different brokers. And so that is single agency on both behalves. But if we are in a situation where I am the broker for the downtown office, but I'm also the broker for the suburb office, and um, one of my agents in one office wants to buy or has a client wants to buy a listing in the other office, that is, in fact, designated agency because we're looking at the broker again. The broker would be in dual agency, and those two individual agents would be in designated agency, even though they're in different offices because they do not have different brokers. Very important to understand that. You also need to understand with dual agency and designated agency that it requires informed consent of the client before providing those types of agency. So when you meet with a consumer, you have a form that you will already have signed that says they are willing to consider designated agency and they're willing to consider dual agency. And they may say they're not willing to consider that. If they're not, then you may not provide those services. But if they say they are willing to consider it, when the situation presents itself, and not before, but when the, the situation presents itself, then you must give full disclosure of that conflict. And it then is up to the consumer to decide whether they will accept that level of agency. So for example, I have a listing and one of my buyer clients now wants to buy that listing. Both clients have already told me at the beginning that they were willing to consider dual agency, but they did not have informed consent at that point because they did not know who the other parties were. So if I went to them and said, hey, listing uh, buyer seller, I have a buyer, but that buyer is coming in from Washington State. I've never met them before. And uh, do you have any problems with that? It's likely that the parties will say, that's fine. We don't, y'all don't know each other. But that's a whole different story if I go to my listing, my client seller, and say, hey, I have somebody who wants to buy your property. They're a client of mine and it happens to be my son. It's that duty of loyalty to your son that's going to be a little bit more uh, than your duty to your client. So I think at that point, perhaps a consumer may say no. But the important thing to understand here is that dual agency document has to be signed. 
And it's also important to understand that once that relationship comes about, it doesn't automatically end the other relationship of agency. That's why everything has to be in writing. Let's talk about termination. 4057-380 talks about the effect of termination. Once you, you are terminated, once your obligations end, you have completed your representation of that party. Uh, you have no other duties or obligations to the client following termination except for you do have a duty of accounting and you also have a duty of confidentiality. Those always survive the completion of termination of agency. And finally, last thing to talk about as we finish agency today is an agent may not buy for his own accord property that he is listing himself without disclosing that to the other parties, getting written consent, and disclosing it before an offer is written and before that's closed by providing it on the contract. And this includes making purchases or sell property for themselves or immediate family or somewhere they have any type of relationship, whether it's a business they own or an LLC they own, they must disclose that. And we have places for you to do that in your contract. It's also important to know there's a case out there that says, that you may not serve as the listing agent and the buyer. It's Darby versus Furman. If you are listing agent and you decide to buy the property yourself, you must terminate that relationship in writing, and then you may then disclose that you're a real estate agent looking to buy the property. That's very important that you do it the correct way. You may not just go ahead and make an offer to buy without terminating that agency relationship first. So I hope everybody got something out of agency. We can look at future episodes of trying to get a little bit more into specifics of examples and so forth. But I think we needed to lay down the foundation today of what agency is and how it works. And now on to Gary's good news only. Coronavirus! Coronavirus! I'm about to mess you up with some truth, Kenny Power style, some real truth. So let's talk about COVID. Good news about COVID is it seems to be going away. So let's look at where we are in the USA. Right now, we have 11.6% decrease in new cases. We're about running at half of where we were during the peak. We're also down 5.9% in seven-day positivity ratings from last week. We're also down 13.2% in hospitalizations, and we're also down 8.4% in your deaths in the last seven days. All great news. So numbers are falling. We're seeing the numbers decrease in South Carolina. We're seeing the numbers decrease in the United States. Now, one of my good friends gave me a memorandum from the South Carolina DHEC, and this sets out some very important information that you need to know about breakthrough cases. Number one question. Now, breakthrough, first of all, is somebody who is fully vaccinated, 14 days has passed, and they still get COVID. Number one question, number of fully vaccinated who were subsequently positive for COVID-19. Out of This is from December 1st, 2020 till September 26, 2021. Dates are important because that's when COVID, uh, we had the vaccines initiated. 11,310 people in South Carolina have had a breakthrough case. Out of the 2.3 million people that are fully vaccinated, that represents 0.5% of vaccinated. That means 99.5% of vaccinated people did not have breakthrough cases. Love that chance there. Number two, percentage of those who were hospitalized. Out of the total 28,785 Total hospitalizations, breakthrough cases, represented 1,104. That means out of the 2.3 million people who are fully vaccinated, 0.05% of them were hospitalized. That means 99.95% of people were not hospitalized who have breakthrough, who have been vaccinated. Next thing, let's talk about deaths. 317 people have died in breakthrough cases. That does not mean they died because of COVID. 
That meant they died and they tested positive for COVID. Of those 317, out of 2.3 million people, that represents 0.01%. 99.99% of people who have been vaccinated have not died. I'm telling you again, I love those chances. Pro-vaccine, anti-mandate. And that's Gary's Good News Only. Once again, thanks, guys, for listening to our show today. I hope everybody got something out of agency as well as that truth about the breakthrough on the COVID vaccines. I think we're seeing that those vaccines are very effective, and that's very good news for all. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend, and I hope that you'll come back again and listen to us next week. Please like us, share us, subscribe to us, and I really appreciate all of you guys who are sharing this message and getting this podcast out to other people. So please help me keep up that work in providing this podcast to others. Thanks, guys. Y'all come back and see us.